everyone and welcome to episode 193 of Final Fantasy Union. I'm your host Daryl and I'm here with Lauren. Hi guys. How are we today Lauren? We are okay. We're coping. We're coping? Yeah. Yeah, like I've had a bit more sleep now and um, yeah, I feel I feel okay. I don't have a cold. Oh, I had the worst cold last week. So I'm very thankful that I was not recording um but how about you daddies i'm feeling Daryl. good and uh, <laughs> i keep calling you daddies i just can't help it it's it's done you're either daddies or daryl's because is it, they both start with d because well as we also established i am the father of final fantasy union so it makes sense it's it, true it works in both contexts daddy o light contexters yes uh, making up words now um yeah so um i'm i'm doing all right actually mm-hmm. we had some positive feedback on the last episode because we had a better dynamic mm. we changed our recording uh setup ish thing so it's made it a bit easier for us to have a conversation now yeah we can talk to each other we can actually see each other oh look oh. at you um so yeah that that was good to hear yeah um <laughs> <laughs> We're doing something right. Um, but yeah, so for today's episode, we are going to be talking about Nobuo Uematsu. The legend, that is. The myth, the legend. Is he a myth? No. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a man. He's just a man who... Like, it, it's funny because... Like, he's he's got such a sort of characteristic style, like... You know, there, there's no mistaking. It's like Miyamoto. There's just no mistaking Nobuo Uematsu. Like, he is Nobuo Uematsu, you know? And like Kojima. Like, he's he's just one of those people who just has has a, a thing. Like, they just, they just have a style, and that is them. Agreed. And because it was recently his birthday, we're going to be talking all about it. Yay! Yay! Um, before we do, though... I just need to remind everyone that Final Fantasy Union is part of a podcast series called Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts Union and is presented by the Gaming Union Network. We have a new show every Tuesday working in rotation with Kingdom Hearts Union and we come on the iTunes store as well as FinalFantasyUnion.com. And we are now going to do our Patreon shoutouts for everyone who has pledged $2.50 or more per episode. Starting with... Nahi Kablawi. Chris Morales. Zach Duranto at ZDuranto58. Michael Graham. Barry Norton at Nortron Zero. Thorin Bullen at Masker 23. Tori Patrick. Fayez Bilal. Alex Ray Snyder at Alex Ray Snyder. Lewis James. Rachel Casterton at Urbayan Ray. Mohammed Kayum. Zelda Clone at Apes Type Novels. Darren Matthews at Doomster 73. Joseph Robertson at Pokemon Trainer J. Alex and Rachel Troutman at Akira Namejin. Keith Field at The Mighty Keith. Billy Jackson at Underscore Billy Jackson. Miles Ribbons. Rob Porter at Squirty Bertie One. David Calro. Tobias Cappy at the Tobias Cappy. Vitanitas. Janik Nord at Janik Nord. Chris Pope at Dr. Pop 181. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, guys. So, today's topic, Nobuo Uematsu, was actually suggested by uh, Barry Norton um, mm. because it was Uematsu's birthday last week. And How old is he? I think he might be 59 or 60. He's ageless. <laughs> that was so there cringeworthy, is no, Lauren. There is no age. It's just no boo. So cringeworthy. I know. I'm sorry. Um so yeah, I mean it was because like the the episode we did previously on Hiroyuki Ito apparently resonated quite well. Like, everyone really enjoyed it, so we thought mm. we'd do something similar for Uematsu san. 
Hmm. And um, yeah, so let's just just get on with it, Lauren. Let's, let's just, just jump into let's it. Let's just jump into it. <laughs> um, so, I mean, Uematsu actually joined Square back in 1985. And um, he was working on some of the smaller games at the time. So he actually did the music for the original King's Knight. Oh, yeah. And he also worked on a game called Rad Racer. Classic. Rad Racer. Rad Racer, guys. Yeah. Isn't that what it was? No, it's Ridge Racer. Oh, Ridge Racer. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, that, that, I get it, but uh, do you know that? No, okay. I'm um, wrong. I'm sorry. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so, he, he worked on games like that before joining uh, Sakaguchi's like core Final Fantasy team of yeah. excellence. Um, and, I mean, he's been involved in every major title since then, yeah. uh, with the, a few exceptions. Yeah. Um, with well basically 13 um and the interesting thing is he's also worked on loads of spin-offs so he also did the music for final fantasy legend a sequel he's worked in on the saga franchise he worked on doing music for chrono trigger with matsuda he also worked on the original front mission with matsuda hamwazu and nakano who he then ended up working on final fantasy 10 with as well Mm. Um, and like it was it was such a whirlwind for him because like imagine like Final Fantasy games came out with such a high degree of frequency back then yeah. and he was working on one of those pretty much every every year if not every other year uh, I think the longest break he would have had was between Final Fantasy 6 and 7 which I think is then obviously he worked on Chron- uh, Chrono Trigger and I think Front Mission was around that time so they were like oh you're just sitting around doing nothing Nibiru let's just get you to work come on yeah, crack yeah. the whip I know. Um, so yeah, he was extremely busy throughout all that time, and I think the thing that's most amazing about it is that the, there was no drop in mm. quality at all. No, no. I mean, there are times where you can listen to some of his music and like some of his more incidental t- tracks. You can kind of find similarities between. I mean, obviously, people make it the comparison between like Celeste's theme and Eris theme, and. Um, there's there once you start listening to some things you can start hearing it again like uh for some reason tragedy in um in 10 always reminds me of the oath from final fantasy 8 like stuff like that but all of his so many of his tracks are completely original i mean like he's done so many like for one game um for final fantasy 9 i think he did like 160 tracks was it it was a lot, yeah. Like, and that's just the ones that got published. And that's that's absolutely astounding. Like I can't imagine I can't imagine being in his position to compose that many tracks for one single project it within like four or five years. And I think that's the most impressive thing because yeah, there wasn't really a drop in quality no. uh, throughout all those years. But also, yeah, like if you actually listen back there are some, obviously some tracks where you can see similar thematic patterns, uh, similar melodies that crop in, but for the for the amount of tracks he's composed, it doesn't happen very often. No, no. I mean, like the battle theme, he always kind of has a clear, like, sort of bass track. He did, but he moved away from that. Yeah. Like the earlier games, and from what I'm understanding, it, it was actually a conscious decision on his part to have that so that he could build in your mind that this is the battle theme. Yeah. Uh, but when the Final Fantasy VII uh, came along, he changed it. Mm-hmm. And then obviously went back to it with Nine to pay tribute to his earlier works. And I think that's the interesting thing because especially in the early games, like one through six, 
there was a lot of restriction placed on what he could do because yeah. of the sound sets he had to work with. When he got to seven, he had a lot more flexibility. And then obviously eight and nine had even more mm-hmm. uh, room for a kind of expression. Eight is like his prog rock fantasy. Yeah. And <laughs> like, I mean, seven, obviously he was able to start experimenting with a lot more things. And yeah, he wanted to move away from from doing those, like basically working in the way that he'd worked before. Yeah. But I think that's it's quite... I don't know. It's obviously we're, we're talking about the lack of dropping quality, but yeah. and Final Fantasy IX was was definitely like for him and Sakaguchi, you know, there and Ito maybe, but um, there were. I think Ito we we said was when he started off, he was very minor in, yeah. in Final Fantasy, but obviously Sakaguchi and Uematsu, Final Fantasy IX, they've been there since the beginning in prominent roles. Like for yeah. them, that game was like we are going to go all guns blazing with this, mm. put everything into it, our, our heart and soul. Absolutely his swan song. But it, yeah, it, I mean, it, it kind of killed the guy. Like yeah. he, he put so much into Final Fantasy IX that when they were like, right, we're working on Final Fantasy X now, a year <laughs> later, yeah, he just, he basically just couldn't do it. and Which is understandable. Like, I mean, he's done it for so many years. And also the fact that he did so many things with like spinoffs as well. It's just, you know... That's that's just crazy. I think yeah, obviously that was at the point where I think it was I I had just been getting into well on, online was becoming a bigger thing. I was just starting to get into the community a bit more, and, and that was one of the first major things that was was quite shocking because Uematsu had been such a central figure for the franchise for all that time. He was the one thing that was consistent outside of Sakaguchi. But Uematsu's work was obviously much more uh, prominent into everything else. Sakaguchi, he was a driving force, but he he stepped away and yeah. and like it, it's kind of like unseen work. A lot of the things that he ended up doing, um, but Uematsu's was obviously like it was so apparent. And then when it came to ten, he just he he said that you know after working on nine, he was he was feeling un, uninspired, um, kind of dissatisfied with his his work, and he just didn't have it in him to create such a a, a wide uh detailed soundtrack anymore which is why they brought back uh Hamwazu and Nakano to work with him again mm. and then on Final Fantasy 11 as well which he was he was also expected to do yeah. an MMO completely different type of game um he ended up working with uh Mizuta and Tanioka on that soundtrack pretty much at the same time <laughs> and this is the thing that's crazy like the 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 workload expected of this guy was just out of this world yeah and he's n- he wasn't even a spring chicken at that point, I don't think, anymore as well. He would have been probably late 30s, early 40s. Oh, okay, so yeah, he was still young. But still, like, just to have all of that pressure on you. Like, I mean, you think normally, like... Oh, well, you even think with, like, um, like uh, uh, fighting, fighting games. So you think, like, uh, Shimamura's work on, like, uh, Street Fighter 2 and stuff. Like, I mean, she probably had about, like, 20, 30 tracks, I would say. Probably not even that. Like, and they were working really hard to get those deadlines in and to get all of that done. Like, you just think, like, to do so much more than that. And I think she was also working with, well, Nobu was was probably working with something as well. But it's just, yeah, I mean, all that he accomplished in that time is just astounding. Um, but even his work on 10, like, so he's, he's nearing his end of his sort of stay at Square Enix, but, um, 
he composes some of his most memorable work. Like Tizanarkin is one of the most memorable songs from Sutake Final Fantasy. Dene. Sutake Dene, yeah. Um, it's like he still was able to compose songs that were memorable even when he f- was feeling broken. I mean, I think the thing about Ten is that, and we've said about like Nakano and how his work wasn't necessarily that inspirational, but maybe that was the problem. Like Uematsu had the drive to do those like really big centerpieces, but he just couldn't, he just didn't have it in him to kind of do the incidental music anymore. Like yeah. the area themes just weren't there. And maybe that was kind of like, obviously like if you think about animation, like you have the the principal artist and then you have yeah. the like the keyframe artist essentially who will just kind of like do the other stuff or like the people that fill in the blanks and just do all the other stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing as well is that it was expected of him to do all of that for all of those games. Like, you know, you think about how much help Shimamura had on Final Fantasy Fifteen. It's just like, it's such night and day to what Nobu had to deal with, which is also a very big testament to how amazing he is. And in order to, like, I I could gush about him all day. Just the fact that like he can he can do it all essentially in the sense that he can do the battle music, he can do the incidental music, he can do the ballads. Like he could just do so much. Just what is his brain like? What 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 does he see in his brain when he creates these pieces? And how is it that he can keep on coming up with new ways to present music? Yeah, and like, I think that's that's a really crazy point. Like, kind of what's expected of a video game composer? Because I've had people ask me, like, uh, like what kind of video game music? Because there's a there's a preconceived notion about what video game music is, and it's like, no, video game music is kind of cross genre. It's it's everything. Yeah, and the composers are expected to do that. Like, you think about other people like you, like like uh, Jesper Kidd. Yeah, like his range of of material is so strong. Yeah, and it's the same for a lot of these composers. They will be expected to figure out how to do orchestrated pieces now like and that they've had to adapt with technology too uh because so like when Ibu Umatsu was starting he had a very limited soundscape that he could work with but then by the time he was on like eight nine and ten it was pretty much full orchestra at that point and not just like simulated orchestra it was he was working with Hamaguchi on an actual orchestrated piece yeah which is just like yeah. that would have had to be just so mind-blowing for him it's like oh now i've got to figure out how to do this and obviously the expectation wouldn't be that he would like do the orchestra that's what hamaguchi would be there for to do the orchestration mm. but it was, it's it's kind of similar to um like the tron legacy soundtrack where mm. um daft punk obviously had the uh the compositional duties and they worked with another guy and i can't remember his name which is really frustrating because i like to give everyone credit where it's due <laughs> um but they worked with an orchestrator and um there was this misconception that that he did all the work because there was a lot of orchestration in the soundtrack mm. and obviously um he was just like no they told me they had the vision they told me exactly what it is they wanted to do they had the vision of how they wanted the orchestra to sound even though they'd never worked with them before mm-hmm. and his his job was basically just to make it sound all right yeah that that was it like and i'd imagine it would be the same for umatsu like he would probably have in his mind uh this this vision of of what it should sound like and then hamaguchi's role was pretty much just to make it work 
Was it just a Japanese? Yeah, it was actually, and he's okay. he's become a um, a successful composer in his own right now after kind of being their arranger. Yeah, he actually recently did the soundtrack for The Greatest Showman. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I do like that soundtrack very much. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it it'd be really interesting to just pick Nobu's brain because, like, I mean, he he does seem to have a forte of um, prog rock, but like obviously he has to have interests in other types of music i know he's definitely mentioned elton john as one of his inspirations <laughs> and the beatles i think as well yeah but also he does look um, like a cross between elton john and the beatles to be mm. fair <laughs> <laughs> he kind of has that john lennon look about him but yeah i mean ultimately kind of with with all this going on um him expected to work on these soundtracks obviously he didn't do 10 to had no involvement in that at mm. all um, I think um, the story was that Toriyama wanted him to be involved, but it ended up just not working. And then he obviously left Square Enix in 2004. Um, he cited the main reason is that they moved offices to Shinjuku. Uh, he didn't like the new location. And uh, I think it was at a time in his life where he was just thinking that really I need to start taking care of myself. And I think maybe if it had happened five to ten years earlier, he wouldn't have cared, but maybe because of how he was feeling in that moment he was just like i don't i don't have to put up with this i need yeah. to i need to look after myself and so he went freelance uh and set up his own record label and uh yeah then just started doing other things like obviously the black mages had been formed around that time but then he started looking into doing earthbound papas um and then he joined up with sakaguchi to work on um blue dragon lost odyssey the last story and terror battle but the weird thing is that he's been pretty much involved in every major Final Fantasy as well. So he did the uh, theme tune for Final Fantasy XII. Um, he was supposed to do the theme tune for Final Fantasy XIII, but then he bowed out because his work on Final Fantasy XIV was too intense. Mm. Um, and I think the the kind of weird thing is that he's he's been one of the most prominent composers on Final Fantasy fourteen. I think he's almost composed almost six hours of music for that game. Mm. Or, or like it's a combination of music he's composed um, from the before Meteor version of the game, but also yeah. Run Reborn and Heaven's Ward and wow. Stormblood. Also, there was tracks from the past that have been um, his that have been rearranged as well by Soken. Um, and like in terms of his legacy. He's composed over, I think it's about 44 to 45 hours worth of music Jeez. for the Final Fantasy franchise. That's insane. Which is, it is insane. Like That is a work week. If you listened back to back, <laughs> it would take you two days to listen to all of his, all of his original works. Yeah, that is, that is absolutely astounding. But yeah, no, I, um, yeah, I love, I love the guy. I mean, stunned. I know. I th that's a thing like I could talk about him all the time like just the fact that you know when I was commuting to work a lot I used to listen to his songs on my way to work and well anywhere I was going really and um you know they never fail to just sort of evoke some kind of emotion like whether it's a battle theme you sort of feel like all pumped up and ready to go but then if it's a more um, of a ballad, you sort of feel emotional and stuff. And it's just really crazy that that all just sort of came from one guy. <laughs> I think, you know, obviously the music has a, a connection with the material. So 
they're obviously going to be pieces of music where if you've never watched visuals associated to them, you'll still have a degree of resonance with them. Yeah. But I think Uematsu was so good at tying the work that he did into the visuals and yeah. creating like specific things around characters and events and places so that you just had no choice but to make that connection so whenever you hear that piece of music you just you just drawn to that immediately and i don't think in the video game sense at least or and also the, uh, with films i've never seen anyone else who has that ability to create something that that is able to invoke that connection in your mind mm. yeah i mean there's there's some there's definitely some yeah there'll be pieces here and there that you'll but, think of and like yeah. if you think about these like oh there's so many lists on youtube of like greatest video game music of all time and there'll be from like there's obviously lots of composers who have gone through history and been able to make very successful careers yeah but if you think of like the assassin's creed soundtrack like yeah Ezio's family is one yeah. that that really sticks out but like so much of the soundtrack is just something that it's good in the moment yeah you'll then, sort of hear it anywhere whereas like if you go back through the final fantasy 7 soundtrack pretty much every single piece of music on that soundtrack you know is associated to a specific event yeah, person or true. place it's very very true and just from hearing it you know you can almost immediately say right that's the airship theme yeah. that's the the theme for like wall market that yeah that's the, the boss theme like yeah yeah no that is it is just absolutely mad i mean i guess in a way it's it's kind of like the same thing with Sakaguchi, um, just thinking about the state of affairs now with Final Fantasy, in the sense that like Nobu when he when he used to do these soundtracks, he definitely had a vision. And I feel like once he did kind of leave like sort of for good or whatever, um, he we went to freelance. Um, I think the vision kind of went with him in a way. Like Final Fantasy Fifteen, there's a few good tracks in Final Fantasy Fifteen. I like there's you know Noctis, um, uh, what is it? Uh, Noctis Eterna. Noctis Eterna, Hellfire. Like some, there's some standout tracks that you get very like sort of um, uh, affected by, but I don't think as a as a coherent piece, I don't think it's as strong as his thing and i think it's the same thing with sakaguchi that the vision is just not there as it was i'd I'd say it's very similar um with with all the games that happened since he left yeah i think 10-2 kind of got it the most but even like riku's theme pain's theme they were they were kind of weak um the error themes worked well but like um you know 13 is again it's kind of a mixed bag soundtrack there's 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 certain themes that you can relate to characters, but those themes aren't always that strong. I really um, like this is not necessarily to say that I hate these soundtracks. It's just it's just not the same kind of yeah. Like the standards are high, thing. the expectation is there about certain things. It's so strange how you like know when when a song like I mean, granted, you can kind of tell from the 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 music sounds, but how you know like when a song is from a certain game and when it's not. Like listening to some tracks from seven, you're just like, this is definitely Final Fantasy seven. It can't be eight. This doesn't sound like eight. This sounds like seven or this sounds like 10, you know, like it's that's like this very specific thing where he was able to uh, redefine it each time to the specific game. So, I mean, uh, Sakamoto, who did the uh, composition for Tactics, Tactics Advance, Final Fantasy 12, he's got a similar style in terms of like based on the sounds he used, even though technology had increased 
you can still tell. Yeah. You can still tell it's him. Yeah. Yeah. Has a signature. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, that, I mean, that, that was Uematsu's signature, the, the, the definition mm-hmm. of this is this character's theme. Yeah. Because uh, even, even Alex, so if I said to you, um, I don't know, Snow's theme. Yeah. No. Not there. Like, it, some of the, like, I could, like, Kaios' theme, I know, like, mm-hmm. straight away. But that's because that is, like, that is, like, the closest to an Uematsu quality theme in the Final Fantasy Thirteen series. I mean, Blinded by Light is great. That's fantastic. But yeah, like I can't think of like um I remember I sort of vaguely remember Vanille's theme, but that's only because I just did the like fan dub from it. So I had to listen to that song a lot. Um but yeah, it's just not the same. I think um just to round out as well, uh abruptly (laughs) (laughs) um i just wanted to put one last thing in there which was just about uh we've talked about it before about obviously when he was composing these things originally and and how how crazy it must be now seeing how far things have developed Mm. and it's it's not it's i don't think it's an experience anyone else would really have because like visually oh well maybe some of the artists like they were doing concept artists uh, and when like when they were doing the original characters and now um seeing what people would create based on those characters because like Dissidia for example I know like f- when Firium was made yeah he was like a little Amano was making these characters like so expressive and visual in his mind yeah but I think the difference is that he was able to um draw exactly what he wanted yeah and then it was just the game kind of condensed it down with Uematsu was not able to compose exactly what he wanted because the technology wasn't available yeah and then he was also restricted, uh, like way more probably I'd say than than the artist guys. But yeah, like um, I remember when we went to see uh, the rehearsals for Final Symphony Two. Yeah, yeah. And um, there wasn't very many of us there. It was um, just a couple of us were able to watch the rehearsal the day before the concert. And uh, Uematsu was one of the guys. He was um, kind of just I don't know about ten, fifteen meters away from us. Yeah. And he was just it was like a kid in a sweet shop he was having so much fun like really getting into it and just had the biggest smile on his face because it's just his dream like yeah there's all these people recreating his work in such a grand setting yeah would have never even fathomed that was was possible when he started i'm sure no no not at all but yeah no he's definitely he's definitely defined defined final fantasy music i I really want to play some of the the newer games he's worked on. Um, mm. I've 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 just not had the time to sit down and dedicate to listening to the soundtracks in isolation. Yeah. Like I I played Terra Battle for a bit and, yeah. and kind of enjoyed the soundtrack good. and that. But um, I've heard Lost Odyssey is is really strong and the Lost Story soundtrack is pretty good too. Mm-hmm. I um and I've listened to quite a bit of the like Final Fantasy fourteen sort of soundtrack, um, which is really which is really good. Um, but I am interested to see if he might do other things in the future. I don't know. I guess it depends on his health, which is kind of sad. It could kind of make, puts a damper on things that he's not very well at the moment. Yeah, he just needs to manage it. I know, bless him. So we wish him well and that he had a good birthday. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's rounding that out. Mm -hmm. We got a little bit of a news afterwards. It's nothing too significant. Um, Dissidia NT just had a new character announced at the Japanese Final Fantasy XIV Fan Fest which as you can 
Gather means that a Final Fantasy XIV character was announced for Dissidia, mm-hmm. which I think is quite interesting for two reasons. Number one is that when we spoke to Yoshida at the end of 2017, he said that this was one of the characters he wanted, and it's mm. the only one that made sense because uh, so it's Xanos from yeah. Xenos from Stormblood, the antagonist. Yeah. Uh, the other two characters were Alphanord and uh, Nail Vandanus. Alphanord is another protagonist, and Yoshida is a protagonist, so it's unlikely that they're yeah. going to be put in there. And uh, Nail is the antagonist from the the old game which kind of got swept under the carpet so xenos made the most sense for that um so that's cool yeah and then uh the other news is that chocobo's mystery dungeon everybody released on playstation 4 and switch yeah uh, last week and um yeah so that's a remaster of final fantasy fables chocobo dungeon it's really cute it does look really cute actually we watched uh, some of the live stream didn't we from square enix's offices and um yeah it does look really really sweet <laughs> so if you want a like cute little game to tide you over because sekiro is too mean intense <laughs> um, yeah. then uh, then go check that out i came to make you feel better <laughs> isn't that supposed to be kingdom no not kingdom hearts 3 because that doesn't make you feel nice either <laughs> makes you cry do you just go and sit in the corner afterwards yeah. and cry <laughs> thanks for sharing that lawrence you're welcome um Okay. <laughs> okay, so our music this episode is kind of going back to where it all began. We've got an arrangement of the prelude, and it's by um, two EDM producers called Boss Fight and New Game Plus. Of course it's EDM. What? <laughs> I was just looking around. I, I mean, I actually found a really nice arrangement of Wandering Flame, Ooh. but it's not an Uematsu composition, so no. I couldn't put it in there. Oh, dear. Maybe next episode, if yeah. I can remember. But um, the interesting thing about this, uh, at least from from my perspective, is obviously Prelude is an amazing piece of music. Uh, Boss Fight uh, and New Game Plus worked on this back in 2017. But Boss Fight has actually started to become pretty popular. Uh, mm. And he recently has been working with Monster Cat. Which is our favorite sort of um, EDM podcast. record yeah. label podcast thing. Yeah, it's so, so good. That was quite interesting that I saw this and I was like, I recognize that producer. <laughs> oh interesting um so yeah hopefully you guys enjoy listening to that it's pretty hardcore uh the next episode of final fantasy union is scheduled to come out on the 9th of april you can subscribe to final fantasy and kingdom hearts union on the itunes store if you just search for us we're there or thereabouts and of course you can catch every episode on finalfantasyunion.com as well as our news coverage by brayden thank you brayden and if you'd like to support us and join us on our podcasting adventures why not check out our patreon at patreon.com forward slash ffkh union Yay! And with that, it's time for us to say goodbye. Bye, everyone. Go and listen to a ton of Uematsu music, uh, two days worth. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we'll see you next episode. Bye. I'm Dara saying goodbye. It's been a FinalFantasyUnion.com production. 